Hey, it's Coley, and you're listening to Still With You. Hey everyone, welcome to Still With You. I am so glad you're here. I know that this episode is hitting you in the middle of the week rather than at the end of the week, but I promise that is intentional. I was hoping this episode might accompany you as you are traveling for the holiday this week. So on the podcast today is a friend that I am so thankful for. Her name is Molly King, and she is from Illinois. I met her through Instagram, which is so crazy, but actually a friend of mine, Stephanie Lynn, had her on her podcast, and then Molly and I connected through Instagram over the St. Louis Cardinals, CIY, and the fact that she's a fellow Enneagram 7, all the fun things that you know that I love, including people who are so joyous, which is exactly who she is. In this episode, we talk about a number of things. Honestly, it's a good reflective episode to listen to, especially around this time of year when we're kind of sentimental and really thinking about the things that matter most. So without further ado, here is my friend, Molly from Instagram, everybody. Oh, hello. Hey, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? We meet again. Same place. I know. <laughs> Oh, cheers. Yes, we're cheersing. All right. Yes, mine's decaf because, you know, that's how I roll. Mine is not decaf because I need the energy today. (laughs) I understand. But no, I like, so the last time I talked to you, I think I told you that I had like given up caffeine. Yes, and I was like, you are crazy. Yeah, so that's still a thing. I read that decaf coffee still isn't great for you, but it's better than regular coffee. So I do have it on occasion, the decaf. I feel like our story of growing in friendship is so different because I've actually never met you in person. It was all through our girl, Stephanie Lynn. So she had you on her podcast, Good Good Talks, and I listened to your interview and I was like, who is this girl? Like, Molly is so cool because I'd heard that you'd worked at CIY, that you were an Enneagram 7, and I just loved your energy. Like all the other guests on Steph's show, I went and followed you on Instagram. We just connected over the St. Louis Cardinals like immediately. I would post something and then you'd be like, ooh, go cards. Oh, I loved it. We'll get to why I'm so go cards. Okay, so obviously I love you. So tell everyone where you live and any details you care to share. Currently, Mattoon, Illinois is where I am right now. I was on staff at a church here in Mattoon as the communications director. Won't go into kind of why I'm no longer on staff there anymore. That's a whole long thing in and of itself. But um, I was on staff there for a little over a year. So I'm kind of in an in-between phase right now. My life right now just consists of packing up things here, ending this season here. Hopefully the end of November, hopefully before that, actually, I will be moving back in with my parents at the age of 26. Hey, Um, there is no shame in that. You're just in a transitioning season, and it's like, it's not like you haven't been adulting for a very long time. Right. It's just, you know, always fun to be like, oh, I'm 26, moving back in with my parents. (laughs) But that's the reality of my life, and it's okay. My parents are very supportive people, so 
I'm really grateful for that. But yeah, by the end of November, I'll be back in with them full time looking for a ministry opportunity. So while I'm doing that, I am substitute teaching at local schools in Indiana. And as of Sunday, I will be doing social media management for the band Carrollton. Um, so, oh, oh my gosh. Wait, hold on. Like, I'm yeah. serious. I did not even know this. What? Yeah. Yeah. So kind of like you were talking about when I, I toured with CIY. So it's a super random, random story. My last event with CIY was in Maryland. We were all super excited because the guys of Carrollton are just incredible, 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 incredible. I love them so much. We were super excited. So we were driving from Lee University in Tennessee to Maryland for our our last stop. We got a message from CIY's headquarters where um, they were like, hey, listen, it was supposed to be Carrollton there this week, but we don't know if that's actually happening. Justin's mom passed away unexpectedly. Justin is their lead singer. He's fantastic. We got that message and we were like, okay, so we didn't know what was happening or if it was even going to be Carrollton or what was going on. The next day they were like, hey, Justin's not coming, but the rest of the band's going to come. And their drummer, Michael, was also out because his wife had just had, I think it was their fourth child at that point. Um, So like literally had just had the baby. So Michael's not coming. So it was Jordan, who's their bass player. Jeremy, who is their former electric player, and then Jordan's brother is an incredible drummer, so he filled in for Michael that whole summer. So it was the three of them coming, and so we were like, okay, cool. Well, I actually became friends with him from social media. The first time that I actually met Michael, he was like, oh, Molly from Instagram. And I'm like, (laughs) I love it, Molly from Instagram. Can we just, like, tag you in all of that through this entire process? (laughs) Oh, I love it. That's like, that was literally how I became friends with Michael and Justin because they weren't there but um that's so suits you Molly from Instagram Jordan Jordan is super introverted and I like my life goal is to always make introverts have full-on conversations with me like more than just a sentence oh my gosh me too yeah every time I would go see them I'd be like okay so my goal is to make Jordan say five words to me like five that's so like I would do it anyway they were in Mattoon the week that I found out about me leaving the church and so I just went to see them because anytime they're within two hours I will always go drive and see them because I I love their music so much it's resonated with so many different times in my life I just love them as people they're wonderful I saw them after the show and was talking to Jordan because he was the one that was free and so we had like a legit full-on conversation and it was hysterical in my head But I was just telling him, you know, about what was going on with me and just some of the things that I was feeling and and processing. And he's like, that sucks. And I'm so sorry. And I was like, you know, it it is what it is. And I just offer every single time. I'm like, if there's anything I can do for you guys, just because of like what your ministry is and how great it is and how great all of you are. Like, if I can do anything to help you, I don't know what that would be, but please let me know. Mm, Um, I would would love love to help. And so I saw him and I talked to Michael on my way out too. And I told both of them that and they were like, okay, well, Michael does their social media. And if you know him at all, he's not a social media kind of person. Like, so it's really funny to me that he... So the band member is doing the social media. Yeah. That should not be happening. No. So, um, like, apparently they have somebody, like, at their label that, like, kind of gives them pointers, but then it's just, like, it's him doing Mm. it. Their concert was on a Saturday, and I had plans on Sunday morning, so I did um, church online through Westside that day. So I was literally still in bed, 
and I get a, a message from Jordan and he's like, Hey, um, it was really great seeing you last night. We were talking and, um, are you free anytime today? Can I call you to talk about some stuff? And I was like, yeah, here's my cell phone number. Just call me, whatever. Literally 10 minutes later, he calls me and he's like, Hey, listen, we were talking and it we all thought that it was great to see you. Like, we love seeing you every time. Like, you're so awesome. Michael wants to pass off the social media just because, you know, like, he he's the one that drives on the road most of the time and with drumming and actually, he's like, we are more face-to-face people. Like, we, we love He's a member that. of the band. There should be no explanation. <laughs> right, right. And so he's like, he's like we're, we're super, like, face-to-face people. And he was like, we love interacting with you online and like you comment on our stuff all the time and I'm like hi that's just because I'm a creeper whatever (laughs) Molly from Instagram (laughs) like hi that's how Michael literally talked to me the first time Molly from Instagram they were like would you be interested in taking over our platforms and like we'll get you everything that you would need or like if you want to create content you can do that too and I was like yes so they were in Clinton which is like an hour and a half from here Clinton Uh, Missouri no Clinton Illinois okay yeah they were here one of my best friends from college is on staff there so I went and hung out with Samuel for a little bit and talked to him and then Michael was like hi let's actually sit down and like talk about this because I was in the van as Jordan was talking to you but I was also driving so my focus was on not dying I officially take everything over in November by the time this comes out, that will be a thing that will be in my life. Creating a community online beyond just their concerts. My initial reaction, literally to anyone who is listening, was not fake at all. Like, she has not told me this just until, like, a few minutes ago. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. My mind is blown because I saw them in concert when I was at CIY. Yes. I've seen them before, and their yeah. presence is amazing. Like, they just know how to worship. They know how to worship. And the way that they are on stage, it's not a show. They are some of the most genuine, down-to-earth people who are the same in every context. And I think that's why I love them as much as I do. It's our human nature to make things about ourselves. And I have never seen people who try everything in their power to to do things well and to do things with so much excellence, but also make everything that they do point to Jesus and not to them. And that's exactly who these guys are. Yeah. Uh, and I love everything about it. I'm going to have to revisit some of their music. I haven't listened yeah. to them in a while. Because again, with their humility, they're like, you know, we're not that big, whatever. Okay. Their song made for this got mm-hmm. used in promos for the Olympics. <laughs> And it's in all of Jeep's commercials for their 2019 lineup. I'm like, you guys, <laughs> your song gets used for the Olympics and you don't think you're a big deal. Like, <laughs> so the, also the moral behind this story is when they go on tour, get your tickets because yes. recruiting three families to be at a certain place at a certain time, that's a rarity. And they do a really good job at their shows of being like, yeah, like you see the four of us, but like there are four wives at home. Like yeah. they're... There are seven kids among them, seven or eight. And it's not just them. Like, it's their families. It's their extended families. Like, everybody has less time with them because they're doing the ministry that they feel like God's called them to. But, yeah, so that's my newest, like, kind of in-between thing. And even, you know, like, as I 
move into a new ministry whenever that happens. Like that's something that I'll still do is, is all of their social media just because I love it. I love the interaction that it brings with people. I love just being able to create community in an awesome way that we have now that we didn't necessarily have before. Molly, so. that's a big deal. You're way low-keying it. That is a huge deal. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. They could not have picked a better person for it. You are it, Molly from Instagram. For all of you people listening, go check out Carrollton. Yes. On Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All three, triple threat. Like, if you search Carrollton Band, it will come up. Because when you follow them, you are following Molly from Instagram. (laughs) I'm sorry that I'm addicted to it now, but I can't leave it alone. It's so so you. When did you work for CIY? Summer of 2014. For those of you who don't know, CIY is a organization for youth that puts on all of these events for all different ages, elementary, junior high, high school. Do they do yeah. one for college students? Not yet. Not Oh, not yet? Does that I sound... don't know if it's in the works. I know that when I was there, they were just hatching the idea, but I don't, like, I don't know if those conversations have continued. So CIY stands for Christ and Youth. And so I went to Believe as a junior high student, so impactful. And then what really changed my life was when I went to Move and I went the summer of 2012 and the summer of 2013. And so I remember when we first like were talking, I was like, Wanting to see if our dates lined up. Because if you would have been working that same year that I would have been, I oh my gosh. But still, the fact that you work with CIY, like what did you do? And also thank you because that organization is literally killing it. I love them so much. They they changed my life, really. They did. I'm like you where my first interactions with CIY were in middle school, I believe. I went every single year and loved it. And then I didn't get to go every year when I was in high school just because I got to travel out of the country. So those dates overlapped with the dates that my church was going to CIY and all of that. But anyway, I have been a long time lover of what CIY does. I felt the call in my life to go into ministry when I was at a CIY conference and honestly have never looked back. So that's where my my life with CIY started. I went as a leader the summer of 2013 and we were in Michigan with Jason French. He's the best. They were talking about in one of the adult leader meetings, you know, like they employ college students every summer to basically run the week of CIY Move, which I don't know if you said this in while we were talking, but Move is the week long summer conference for high school. Students. For high school, that's where I was, and so I got back to school, and they opened the registration to like apply for one of those internships, and. I prayed a lot about it because I'm like, listen, a lot of the times when you love something, but then you intern there, you see all of the crap that you don't see as a student going to the conference. That's some good advice right there. Just for anyone who's thinking about going to an organization that they are crazy about, just let that sink in. That is, that's so good. That's really good for me to hear. No organization is perfect. And I'm definitely not saying that CIY is terrible because they're not. They're wonderful. They're, but there were obviously things that when I was interning for them, I didn't expect. Um, and not to say that they don't do things well. Because if you know anything about that organization, they do things with mm. so much excellence that sometimes you're like, how do they attain this? Like, oh, how I they- mean, yeah, yes. I applied and went through the interviews and got accepted. That summer, I was the front of house manager. 
most people are like, hi, what the heck does that mean? So anything that didn't happen on the stage fell under my responsibility. So coordinating Bible college representatives um, to run cameras, working with the light and audio and video people. They incorporated that year a thing called Stage B, where before the evening sessions, it was the MCs just doing ridiculous things with the kids. So making sure that that ran smoothly. Any element that happened as far as a response, that fell under my responsibility. Making sure that adult leaders got all of the tools that they needed in their morning meeting to make those night session things happen. That fell under my responsibility. It was a lot of moving parts, a lot of people managing, but the things that I learned while I was interning there and the people that I got to interact with, I still keep in touch with a good majority of the people that I interacted with that summer, which is also how I ended up with my job with Carrollton because I worked with them for a summer and had that relationship built with Jordan. CIY, I cannot speak enough highly, love that organization, love the people that make up that organization. I love the heart of that organization of calling students to a life of kingdom work. Because I don't know if it was like this for you, but when I was growing up, a lot of the times I was told ministry only happens in a church. Ministry only happens if the people who are employed by the church go and do something. CIY was the first place where that script was flipped for me, where if you were a teacher, you are doing ministry. If you are a doctor, you're doing ministry. If you're a nurse, you're doing ministry. If you're a mechanic, you're doing ministry. Whatever you are doing, if you are doing it in the name of Jesus and it aligns with the teachings of Jesus, you are doing ministry and you are impacting the lives of people and you are bringing the kingdom here. That was the first time that I had ever heard any of that. It just so happened in my life that my ministry involves being employed by a church. It was not something that I planned. I had other plans for my life, but God got a hold of my heart at one of those things and affirmed in me that whatever I do, as long as I am doing it to make his name known and not mine, then that's what he's called me to do and I'm going to be faithful in that. I love that. Yeah, they are so creative, like you said, in not putting any limitations on how you can do ministry. They introduced me to what spoken word was. I was a little country girl and I literally listened to this amazing woman speak the truth into my life, but do it through spoken word. And I remember she, I remember one of the things that she would say in every poem, she'd be like, my God. And it was just like, she just kept saying, was it? Is that her? Was, did she do that? I love her. Wait, was she, did she do spoken word for CIY? Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. And now she has a book out. Oh my gosh. This is crazy. Okay. I did not know this either. Like this is initial reactions. Yeah. It was this African-American woman. It was the, the videos where they would stay, like it would be real out and then it would zoom in right on her. Yep. Molly, oh my gosh. I'm dying. I am like dying. Oh my gosh. I did not know that was her. I had no idea. Well, Jackie Hill taught me about yeah. spoken word, she, what spoken word poetry is. The summer of 13 and 14. Yes, and I was there. That's when they did it. It's She would always, they would, oh my gosh, I am dying. This is literally the craziest thing. I had no idea that was her. All I knew was there was this woman who, and it, this is so weird because my senior year of high school, I had an assignment and I did spoken word for the first time. That's incredible. Oh my gosh. I literally feel like I'm like, my heart is about to burst. I had no idea that was her. Thank you for that insight. You're welcome. I absolutely loved 
everything I got to do with CIY and the way that it's impacted my life and my ministry and the way that I interact with people. I am just so thankful for them. I'm so thankful for the work that you did as well with that. That was one of the things that connected us early on because I was like, I don't meet many people who have experienced CIY, but you did. I'm just so thankful for that little faucet of our friendship. Another thing that I learned early on from you is that you are a type 1 diabetic. That's just something that my my dad is a type 1 as well, and I've watched him walk through that. If you don't mind just like talking a little bit about that and sharing, and I don't mean to like, like that feels like a weird transition, but that part of your story means a lot to me. I was diagnosed in January of 2011, in between semesters of my freshman year of college. Type 1 is not something that runs in my family, Mm -hmm. Um, so it was definitely a shock diagnosis. So I went to college in the fall of 2010. Up until that point, I had lived a really, really active lifestyle. I had been dancing competitively. Most of my life, I started taking ballet classes when I was four. Then in high school, I was on my school's competitive team and my studio's competitive team ran distance and track. So I was running six or seven miles. I I would say a week, but it was probably more like that many a day because it was, you know, distance running and all of that. So after a while, you just lost track. So when I went to college, my lifestyle drastically slowed down. I was still active and still doing things, but not to the point where I was in high school. I was putting on some weight, classic freshman 15, right? That's, That's what I thought. I was really tired all the time, but I'm like, oh, I'm also staying up until two in the morning and I have an 8 a.m. class every day of my semester. So, hi, that's why I'm tired. Whatever. (laughs) I wasn't eating well because cafeteria food and I went to a small Bible college. It's not like when you go to a larger school where you have tons and tons of options. It was, you ate what was in the cafeteria or you went and bought food and I'm a poor college kid so I wasn't going to go buy food. Right. Every part of my lifestyle just wasn't adding up. I thought I had all of these issues because I was adjusting to college. There was one day where I had, I didn't have classes after 11, two days a week. I got done in the practice room because I was a music major. So I went in and I did my practice time for that day. It was like noon and I was like, I'm not really hungry. I feel like I'm getting the flu. I'm just going to go take a nap, whatever. So like 1230 and back in my room taking a nap. I didn't wake up, really wake up until eight o'clock the next morning. Oh my gosh. I felt tons better. And so I was like, oh, okay, it's the flu, whatever. Christmas rolls around. I go home for the semester. My dad's family always gets together in between Christmas and New Year's. And I have an aunt that's an OBGYN. She was like looking at me and asking me about college and all those kinds of things. And so then she goes and talks to my mom and she's like, hey, I think Molly might have either like full blown or the starting points of PCOS Mm -hmm. that runs in my dad's family because she knew that she was like, "Um, you might want to go have her checked out for this. And my mom was like, okay, great. We just went to my family doctor because the tests that they run for PCOS, my family doctor could do. So went and had the blood work done, whatever. I get home that day and my mom's like, the doctor's office called. It's not PCOS. Your glucose was through the roof, which I'm like, I don't really even know what this means. Yeah. But she was like, your normal glucose should be between 70 and 150 is the normal target. And mine was over 400, closer to 500. That whole semester, I shouldn't have been coherent at all. The day that I took that really long nap, like, I should not have come out of it. I, you know, went to the doctor. They taught me how to do all of the things with my diabetes and ran some tests to find out that my pancreas 
isn't working at all. So for people who are listening, there's a a very vast difference between type 1 and type 2. Very. Um, So type 1 is technically classified as an autoimmune disorder. In type 1, your pancreas doesn't produce any insulin at all. It's commonly known as juvenile diabetes just because a lot of kids who um, have had it their pancreas didn't fully develop. In its beginning stages, it was found more in kids and then they just had it through their whole life because once your organ doesn't develop it, it doesn't regenerate. It's not one of those like your liver where it can regenerate. It's just something that they've had to live with. You can live with it thanks to modern medication, but type two is where your pancreas still produces insulin, but it doesn't release it at the correct times. So your body should be releasing insulin as you eat to counterbalance the food that you eat so that way your body can actually turn it into energy. So people with type two have the ability to create the insulin. It just doesn't produce it when it should. That's the easiest and briefest way to explain that. But we found out that, you know, my pancreas wasn't producing insulin at all anymore. I have done a pump at some point. I'm back on injections because about a year ago, I was hospitalized from diabetic ketoacidosis, which is where, you know, something happens with your body or your medication or whatever. Your blood slowly turns to acid um, and it can wreck your entire body. People with diabetes actually die from it to a point. It was totally the Lord looking out for me in that whole process because I was actually at my parents and not in Mattoon. At the time, if I would have been in Mattoon, the outcome would have been completely different. I don't necessarily know if I would be here today if I was in Mattoon when that happened. But I was in the intensive care unit for four days. Once I finally woke up, um, I was in a normal room and was released and all of that. There are three days of my life that I genuinely don't remember. Um, Oh my gosh. I completely blacked out, had full conversations with my parents and don't remember having those conversations at all. So all of that to say, I've been living with it for almost eight years now. In the grand scheme of things, it isn't necessarily that long of a time. I have learned a lot in dealing with it and living my life. And I think that this is where my thought of, well, it's not necessarily a thought, but the truth of... God being good all the time, God being good even when your circumstances are not, God being good when life around you is crumbling. He is always good, no matter what's happening. I remember so many times within my diagnosis, sitting with people and just crying. I didn't want to deal with it anymore. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to have to give myself shots anymore. I didn't want to have to prick my fingers anymore. I didn't want to do any of it anymore. You don't get a day off from dealing with it. Yeah. You either do it or you die. Like those, those are the options. There's a couple that I'm very, very close with who I would sit on their couch and I would cry and I would be like, here's the crap that I don't want to deal with today, this week, whatever. The wife of the couple would hold me and let me cry and remind me that God is good. Yeah. Um, she, she had her own health issues that she dealt with, and so she understood the mental parts of dealing with a chronic illness. So she would sit there and let me cry and let me feel all of the things that I needed to feel. And then he would sit down and he would just lay down the truth, whether that was, you know, truth from, from God that I needed or whether that was, listen, he like, here are your options you do this or you don't, here's what happens when you don't. Like, it was exactly...
exactly what I needed and they were exactly the people that I needed. And so through this, I've had those people in my life who have been able to extend both grace and truth to me. I've had people who have spoken over and over again that God is good even when things are not. And that's carried into different aspects of my life, but it's stemmed from my diagnosis. I've had people who have helped me understand how important it is to live as healthy as possible. I will never be cured from diabetes. Um, And that's something that is a hard pill to swallow. The American Diabetes Association and the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation are two great organizations who are making incredible strides in helping people with diabetes live a normal life. But I don't foresee a cure happening within my lifetime. Yeah. Which is not me being pessimistic. That's me being realistic. But I've been proven wrong in those kinds of things before. So it is what it is. You know, I've had a great community of people who have come alongside me to help me make better choices and things that I can make choices about when that comes to, you know, what I do when I go to the doctor, the ways that I exercise and eat and the insane amounts of people who have been like, oh, you deal with this lip. That's one of the reasons that I got into using Young Living. All of their oils and all of their products are completely non-toxic, completely natural. Because I put chemicals in my body every day, I made the choice to use natural things in every other aspect of my life. So that way I'm only dependent on the drug that I need to stay alive. Using those things and doing those things has drastically helped the way that I take my insulin and how much insulin I need to take. Then I found a great chiropractor. The thing that most people don't know that have any type of diabetes is that chiropractic care helps with every function of your body um, because it's all based in your brain. And then this last summer, I was working at a week of middle school camp. Our drummer for the week is actually a chiropractor. I made a joke about my diabetes at one point, and Casey, the the drummer, was like, I'm a chiropractor. Chiropractic care helps with diabetes. It doesn't cure it, but it, it helps your management of it so much. And I'm okay, like, let's talk about this a little bit more. So once I started going to him, found somebody that I that I trust to, to go to, made an appointment, and it has helped more than anything with lots of different aspects. The way that he does chiropractic is a little bit different than just the popping your bones, like all of that kind of stuff. His is all, because he has a few other, like, certifications on top of just the doctor of chiropractic things. Chiropractic is all about your brain and your nerves and all of that kind of stuff. So the way that he does it, it's helping your brain properly communicate with all of the organs and all of the systems in your body. So that way your body isn't overcompensating. If one organ doesn't work, your body overcompensates to do basically what that organ did instead of helping it rewire itself. So that way it's doing what it's supposed to, if that makes sense. Yep, it does. So when he does things... He does it to where if there's an organ not working correctly, he adjusts and it helps your body rewire and it helps your brain properly communicate to that organ. He knows that my pancreas will never just miraculously start working. I mean, it could, 
Jesus does some cool things. But if we're being realistic, my pancreas, with his adjustments, it's not just going to start working again. He is helping my brain communicate with the rest of my body to work the way that it should, even without my pancreas working. I have lost weight with it, used less insulin, not because... I'm trying to use less insulin and wrecking my body, but I'm using less insulin because I genuinely don't need to use as much because the rest of my body is working properly. He's been a great friend through it as well. And just dealing with some of the emotions that come from a diagnosis and then life in general, my emotional state has been better. So it's all about finding your people that can help you be the best version of you, no matter what that looks like. And I'm really grateful for the people that I have that do that, whether that's, you know, with my diabetes or just in my everyday life, um, helping me live more like Jesus and helping me view the world the way he does. That's been the biggest thing through all of this. Would you give some wisdom to people, whether they're walking through diabetes or maybe something similar, where they're just finding their identity in what has been laid before them? How did you work through that if you felt that way at all? I definitely did. I always hate telling the story because it seems very, very petty, but it's really not. So I obviously got diagnosed with that when I was in college, and I remember there was someone who said an, a negative comment about my diabetes, and they didn't really even know me all that well. I didn't tell anybody about it for like three or four weeks after it happened, so it was like a month. I was sitting on the couch with my couple mm -hmm. and, you know, just crying, whatever. And that was the first time that I said anything about it. Shannon was like, when did this happen? And I was like, three weeks ago, a month ago, something. And she's like, why are you just now telling us about this? I'm like, I don't know. And she's like, honey, you took that to your heart and you took on that label, but that's not what you're labeled as. She's like, if you look through scripture, nowhere does it label people by the things that they struggled with. All of the great people of the faith, Moses, there were so many characteristics of his, but he was never labeled as a hothead. Like God never labeled him as a hothead, but he was. You've got liars and you've got cheaters and you've got the, the prostitutes, like all of these people. God never labeled them as those things. God labeled them as, as his, as his children, as his people. Why are you labeling yourself? just based on this one label. She's like, because if people genuinely know you, they know that that is not the thing that defines you. Mm. Um, and so when she said that to me, it very much took me a few weeks to flip my script and to look at myself and say, I'm Molly. I have diabetes, not I am a diabetic. Because when you say I, I am a diabetic, you're, you're labeling yourself and you're giving people that permission to label you. I guess the wisdom that I would say is number one, if you have a struggle, if you are not dealing with that struggle with Jesus, you absolutely have to. There's no way to get through this life without having Jesus. He's not a crutch. He's not this fairy godmother. He's not this angry person that lives in the sky like he is constant he is good he is faithful and he's always there there's never anyone else who will literally never leave your side that's who he is if you're trying to deal with your hurt and your diagnosis without him it's hopeless it's very hopeless but he brings that hope number two have your people who will be the people to offer advice 
but also just let you cry. Because there are times when you don't necessarily need advice. You just need someone to look at you and say, I see your hurt and I see your struggle. I found those people that they were married to each other. So that was really helpful. <laughs> but <laughs> I think everyone but, needs a couple like that in their life. Right. Yeah. Go yeah. find yourself a, a married couple that's going to speak that life into you and let you cry on your couch. That is your mission for this week, people. Yes. Yes. I knew when I needed Shannon and I knew when I needed Rob. So I, I knew when I just needed someone to let me cry. And I knew when I needed someone to kick me in the butt. Um, which perfectly describes both of those people. Having them was super helpful. And having friends who didn't label me by my disease. Yeah. Um, and it got to the point where if someone was labeling me by my disease, I just didn't associate with them. It wasn't like me being a terrible person and like flat out telling them that I wasn't associating with them or like, rudely being like, hey, I'm not going to associate with you because you're labeling me by my disease. Like, that wasn't what it was. It was just, I'm making the conscious effort to have the mindset that I need to have in order to deal with this in the way that I should. Most of my friends knew me before my diagnosis. I had been at school for a semester before that. I remember the very first time that I was back at school and eating in the cafeteria with some of my friends and my friend Joe, I was sitting with Joe and Corey. They were both just like talking, whatever. And I was, you know, checking my glucose and doing my math so that way I could correct my carbs and all of that. And I just didn't even think about it. And I just, you know, stuffed my needle and was, and they just stopped talking. And I'm like, what's happening because I was focused on you know what was going in my stomach oh I've, I've seen my dad do that so many times yeah so um like I hung out with Joe and Corey a lot but because of our schedules we never really like had meals together they were the only other people in the cafeteria that I really knew at that point so I just like sat down was eating and talking checking things whatever shooting myself in the stomach with needles and I'm like sitting there doing it and they just stopped talking and I'm I look up and I'm like what and Joe's like I've never seen someone do this before. Also, you're like a superhero. And I'm like, no. And then he said the thing that at the at that time it didn't bother me, but later on it, it has bothered me. But he has never said it again. But when people say I could never do that, like I don't think that I could give myself a shot. I don't think I could whatever it is. And at that point, like, it didn't really register with me. And I was like, well, I have to. Like, this is my new normal. But then the more people said it, the more it just really bothered me. Again, my option is do this or die. Like, that's it. So finding the people around you who love you and who will support you, who genuinely will be there for you, it's very helpful. And just finding the ways to be positive through whatever comes. It's easier to say it than it is to do it. I'm also the kind of person, as a seven, I don't really like to talk about the hard things, like, until I have really felt and dealt with every single part of it. And because diabetes is an ongoing thing, I will never feel like I've dealt with every single part of it, but... Oh, that's a great analogy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's new pain all the time. I've never thought of that. There are milestones. Yeah. Like, throughout my life where I'm like... Like, I'm past that milestone, so now let me look back at it. How did that make me feel? And so I do that every year. Every January 7th, it's the day that I got diagnosed. Yeah. I look back at the, the last year, and I'm like, okay, what stands out? 
as far as me dealing with my disease, what stands out the most, both good and bad. I celebrate the good things. I mourn the things that were awful. But I have seen God's faithfulness through this in ways that I don't know if I ever would have if I didn't have it. Yeah. It's so interesting that you talk about January 7th being the day that you got diagnosed because I'm kind of like exploring this thing with God of like how he uses numbers. You know, I love the Enneagram, but like sevens are so joyous. And it's like you were diagnosed on January 7th. What is that God? Like, what does that say? That's like holding that beauty and pain in the same. Yeah, it's, it's always interesting to look back. Octobers have never been a good month for me. Mm-hmm. Things that happens in, happened in college. The very first ministry that I had out of college, I left in the beginning of October, five years ago now. So Westside, I left there in in October. And it was it was really hard because I didn't want to leave. But I felt like that was what I was needing to do in that season. There was um, an incident post-college that was really traumatic that also happened in in October. And so I'm always like bracing myself for October. Um, And then this latest season, you know, happened the beginning of October. And I was just like, I should have braced myself. And it was the one time that I didn't brace myself. That's a whole other thing. But in that God has just been like in the mountains and in the valleys, like I'm, I'm the same. I'm never changing. It's a lot of trusting and surrender, daily surrender. Yeah, definitely. Look at us, sevens, talking about pain, and we went deep. Yeah, we did. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's come up for air. Can we talk about the St. Louis Cardinals? Um, always. Okay, thank you. Always, okay, always. The staple of our friendship. When did you become a Cardinal fan? I claimed to be a fan in high school because my older brother is, like, super athletic. Like, played three sports in high school, two sports in college, now coaches collegiately, so, like... Woo, go him. That's awesome. Like, whatever. He's ridiculous. Most of my high school, if I wasn't doing something, it was, you know, watching him play football or basketball or baseball or whatever. So his high school baseball coach was a pitching scout for the Cubs. Mm-hmm. Um, Coach Kyle was all about the Cubs all the time. La, 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 la. Okay, right? And this is when, like, the Cubs were literally terrible. <laughs> like, way before them winning the series and all of that. Yeah. So, like, everyone was like, okay, the, the Cubs are bad. And also, Cubs fans are similar to, like, most fans where they're like, even if our team is terrible, like, we're not jumping ship, like, whatever. They are loyal with that annoying shade of blue. I am not, yes, I'm not a fan of are. that. They're very loyal, I but. Them, I will give them props for that. Yes. For being loyal fans. Um, I'm sorry. So Sometimes was, I'm like, get that big old C out of my face. I can't stand right. it. Right. <laughs> it's literally <laughs> so big. I'm like, uh, no. But no. Now that they, like, that the Cubs are actually doing well, I'm like, I'm I'm happy that your team is doing well as long as they're not beating the Cardinals. Touche. But we talk about it. So my brother's baseball coach was a pitching scout for the Cubs. So he, you know, had his, his mug and his, like, 70s jacket and, like, all of the things, all of the Cubs things. So... <laughs> Um, there was a girl who I was friends with in high school who was a huge Cardinals fan. At that point, I didn't, like, hate baseball, but I was like, eh, whatever. My family's a football family. Never really watched baseball on TV or anything like that growing up. And then when Coach Kyle was, like, all about the Cubs, I decided in my personality to push his buttons and say that I was a Cardinals fan. So I did, and it was the best Then I went to college, and a lot of the friends that I made were from, like, St. Louis, St. Charles, all the St. Louis suburbs. 
they were huge Cardinals fans because hi, St. Louis is a baseball town. Everything is St. Louis Cardinals in that town, um, especially now with the Rams being gone. But even then, you heard more about the Cardinals and the Blues. All the time over the Rams, yeah. yeah. No, Nothing yeah. against the Rams, that's the reality of what happened. Right. Yeah, so really became a Cardinals fan in college. My best friend in high school, Lindsay, her family, they're big baseball people, learned more about the game through hanging out with her. She went on to play Division One softball. Oh, fun. Uh, That's awesome. At Illinois State. And watching her and her family, like, love the game of baseball, it's really a great way to bond with people. And that's what I love a lot about St. Louis, just, like, the fan base there. Like, you might have nothing in common with people, but you're sitting next to them at a game, and you strike up a conversation, and you just build so much community over a love of America's pastime. Come on with uh, it. Yes, I'm all about it. We are example A of this friendship. I mean, literally, right. you commented right. on my photo. Yeah, it was great. I'll just go ahead and go to where I think that you were going next with this. Yes, that um, you have a awesome connection with yes. the St. Louis Cardinals. So, a very personal um, connection. My friend, yeah, my friend Lindsay that I was talking about, she went to Illinois State and played softball. Met her husband there, Mason, because he played baseball at Illinois State. Fun fact for people who might not be as big of St. Louis Cardinals fans as we are, the shortstop for St. Louis, Paul DeYoung, also went to Illinois State. And he is best friends with my best friend's husband. Paul and Mason are super close, super tight. And I was the maid of honor in Mason and Lindsay's wedding. And Paul was one of the groomsmen. So I got to know him through that. When I was asking Lindsay all of, like everything about the wedding before planning really started... It's very typical for the girl to know all of the people that she wants in the wedding, like, beforehand. And the guy to just be like, well, I don't know, I guess these people, whatever, <laughs> you know? Like, and, that, and that's very much, that's very much how Mason and Lindsay were. So when she first asked, and I, like, said yes, whatever, because, hi, it's your best friend getting married. You're not going to say no. Like, yeah. You will move your schedule. So I, like, so that was the next thing that I asked was, like, okay, so, like, does Mason know who he's asking? And she was, like, well, he he kind of has an idea. He's not 100% about it yet. And I'm, like, okay. And she's, like, obviously his brother. And then probably, like, some of the guys that he played baseball with in college. He's already asked Luke, which is her brother, Evan, which is Mason's brother. So she's, like, those two for sure. She's, like, and then he's just figuring out the rest. So then a couple of months go by, we grew up really close to a state park. So I had a dog at the time. So we took my dog on a hike and we were talking about wedding things and all of that. And I was like, okay, so has Mason like picked the other the other guys? And she's like, yeah, so um, like, I'll just tell you a little bit about them. Dennis played baseball with us. Like, she's like, and then Logan, who's a police officer and la 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 la. I'm like, oh, okay. And then she's like, and then Paul. And I'm like, oh, okay. He plays minor league within the Cardinals organization. Like super cool. And I'm like, that's awesome. Like, <laughs> that that takes a lot. Like that's super cool. And I didn't know really much about like the lower leagues right. of baseball because unless you're like a diehard baseball fan, like you don't really know. And so when she said that Paul played within the minors, and she was like, "Yeah, so like he's he's in Memphis right now, like playing with them." Like I didn't realize that like Memphis is your next call up. Is yeah, literally to the Cardinals, like didn't even put that together that was in April that we had had that conversation all of a sudden I see Mason posting all these things about oh Paul DeYoung blah 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 and I'm like what what the what I'm like watching and so obviously his first major league at bat was ridiculous like 
homers. Okay, cool. What? That doesn't happen. Yeah. At, really ever. A whole group of them went to the first game that he played at Bush. They were like, that was super cool, whatever. So just followed even a little bit more closely, like not to be like creepy stalker, because like, that's weird. But I'm like, hi, I'm going to meet this person for this wedding. So like, I obviously don't want to necessarily just chuck baseball. So I met him that October. Um, so this would have been like a year ago. And he was just like, hi, I'm Paul. I'm Paul. Hey, how's it going? Like the nicest guy you'll ever meet. Like they gave him the nickname of Perfect Paul because he's super <laughs> smart. Like he's super smart. Um, oh yeah, he has a degree in biology, right? Because yeah. I looked it up. Some some type of science. Yeah, bio chem. I think it's, it's like biochem. Biochem. There's there's some type of chemistry in there, so I think it's biochem. I have seen him a few times since the wedding so that's cool and super down-to-earth guy he's great we've talked about this before that when you talk to him it's never how other people would talk to him and being like hey can i get a photo you've said that every interaction with him it's literally been just like hey we're friends and that's what we are yeah so like the first time that i met him i did ask for a picture but it wasn't like that was the first thing that i asked he came up for the bachelor party for Mason and we hung out for like an hour like the four of us and just got to know him a little bit when I asked him I was like I don't want to be that person but like can I get a picture with you and he was like yeah sure that's fine yeah well you all are in a wedding together so I mean yeah yeah. I mean the memory of all of that right I was like I don't want to seem like I'm like fangirling and he was like no it's he's like it's really okay and I was like okay while we were at the wedding obviously people knew who he was and like knew that because he was friends with Mason and Lindsay, that's who he was. He got stopped at the reception all the time. I'm sure that because that's what he does, he's used to it, at least to some degree. At that point, I was like, he just wants to be Paul. Like, he just wants to be with his friends. He's 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 also very much like, yeah, I do my job, but the fans make it great. Yeah. And so he's like, I'm never going to turn someone away for an autograph. Oh, I love that. Very cool. Just works extremely hard, which is super cool. Yeah, so, like, anytime I talk to him, like, during the season, my favorite thing to do is to send him office quotes because... You told me this. I love this. his favorite show. Yeah, it's so funny. So when they were playing the Cubs, I think it was the last series that they played them, I sent him one where it was, um, give the Cubs your undivided attention because they won't be able to handle it. Like, (laughs) and he's, like, he, he was like, I laughed so hard. I'm like, okay, cool. My other favorite one was he had a walk-off this season, which I was actually at the game, and it was super cool. But I, I saw him before, and, you know, he was signing autographs, so I, like, literally didn't get to talk to him at all. He's getting ready to go back to the dugout, and I just yell out a Michael Scott quote, and he just turns around and smiles and keeps running. And I'm like, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> Love it. At one point, I gave him little motivational cards, too, that I found that were, like, office quotes. When they did the Cardinals Caravan, which is where they, like, divide up the team and have some of the minor league guys come along with them. Oh, girl, I know what the Cardinal Caravan is. I love it. So, like, okay. That is a word I haven't heard in a long time. Cardinal Caravan. Oh, it's so good. What a Missouri Um, thing. Yeah, so they they did one in Champaign, which is, like, 45 minutes from me, and um, it was actually one of Paul's stops, and so I went was supposed to take some friends with me, but they ended up all, like, not being able to go, so I just went by myself. Oh, that's very unseven of you. I know. I know. I'm, I'm learning to do that more. So I had those with me, and I, like, saw them after. I was like, hey, listen, I found these. I thought you would enjoy them. And he's like, okay. So he opens them, and he's reading them, and he's like, you win for pop culture references. And I'm like, 
I, I'm not being creepy, but like, I know that that's your show that you really like to watch. And he's like, yeah, Mason and I love this show. And I'm like, that's how I figured that out. Whatever. And he was like, okay. And he was like, do you watch the show? And I was like, I was like, it's not my favorite. I watch it and I think it's funny. And he's like, okay, then what is your favorite? And I'm like, Parks and Rec. And he was like, I'm just getting into that show and it's hysterical. And I'm like, I love it. So every so often he'll text me like funny Parks and Rec things. That's so cool. I love that. And I think that that's so cool that you're kind of like a normal person to a world where he probably gets a lot of just like fan base interaction or somebody wants something from him and you want nothing. You're literally just there to try to make him smile and share office quotes. I mean, how cool. I'm going to ask you the final question. Is that good with you? The name of this podcast is still with you. Where is God still with you, Molly? It's such a broad question, but also very pinpointed at the same time. And I love questions like that. If we believe in the goodness of Jesus, we know that he's with us in everything. And so that's been a truth that I've held on to through this transition, through chapters closing, meaning that new chapters can open. He's with me in it. He sees the pain that I am dealing with. He sees the days when it's not easy for me to be joyful. He sees the times that I don't trust, but then he always reminds me that He's never left and he never will. He's with me not only when times are great, but also when times are crappy. In the transition, God is there. God is with me. Um, So I don't know if that speaks to anything that someone needs to hear, but I'll just say it to them as well. No matter what season you're transitioning into or transitioning out of, God is holding you. God is there. God will never leave you. Because, you know, he, he promises us that in scripture, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Yeah. His goodness and faithfulness is always right there. How could that not speak to someone? And I will yeah. just say, Molly, if you would have asked me like years ago, if I would have just made like a cool friend through Instagram and like I would have been like, excuse me, like I don't do that. You have been one of the sweetest people and you are just so joyous. Like you literally bring so much joy to my life. I will just say this because I did. I haven't told you this. Maybe it was an Instagram story. You were like hanging out the window in a Starbucks line, and you took a picture of like you like selfing it. Like it was me and my boss. Yes, with your mouth like wide open, like smiling with the car behind you, and we're like, I'm like, who takes a picture in the Starbucks line of the car right behind them, like in a selfie mode? And that's what I'm talking about. Like it is like. It is so cool to watch you from afar. I'm honestly honored that you've invited me kind of into this season of where you're transitioning and where you're you're just being really open about what's happening. That is honestly even such a gift to me of what that looks like to walk through that and do it in a very healthy way, which is letting people in and processing it through the Lord and not really running from that, but just being like, I'm here. And I just want to thank you. I thank you for the life that you live, the life that you share with us and the joy you give us. And I'm just so grateful. Thank you. That that means a lot. Molly, I can't thank you enough for being on the show. Like you're welcome here anytime, of course, you know, but sincerely, thank you so much for making time for this. I know that you are a busy girl. You're so welcome. I love how our friendship has come about. And I love that you reached out to me to do this. And it's so fun. I never kinds of things lightly, but I also love when I get the chance to do them. It was funny because when you texted me like round one, you were like, I can't wait to hear about your inspiring life. And I'm always like, 
my life's not that inspiring. Like, oh yeah, and that's when you had like five different people tell you you were inspiring. Yeah, yeah, I did. Truth. It was like three or four people, and so like you text initially, and then like three or four other people said it, and then you texted it to me again, like right before, right before we recorded. I just remember you being like, like you you saying it, and I was like, listen, you're like the fourth person to tell me this, and you were like, okay, so. That means you should receive it. Like, you should. Your life is inspiring. Receive it. And I'm like, okay, great. So the inspirational part of it is just doing the little things and just making sure that you're listening to what Jesus is telling you, that you act accordingly and you act in obedience. I guess that's what's inspiring. Oh, well, Molly from Instagram, everybody, you are <laughs> you're welcome here anytime. Thank you so much. <laughs> Go follow her, please. Definitely. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Love you, girl. So thankful for you. you. Oh, I just love her so much. She is literally such a joy. If you love what you heard too, please go give Molly a follow and follow all the people that she is in charge of, such as Carrollton. Go follow Paul DeYoung as well. You know, we love Friends of Friends. Also, the music that you are hearing in the background is written and performed by my amazing friend, Christy Macing. All links to her music and ways you can connect with her are in the show notes. Definitely go do that. I am so thankful that you joined me for episode 22 of the podcast. So crazy, but next week is actually the last full-length episode of Still With You for season one. And I will tell you, though every single episode is completely amazing and worth listening to, you are not going to want to miss out on episode 23. Again, the final episode of Still With You Season 1. There is an amazing guest that's going to be on the show, and I have all of the surprises for you guys to finish the season off. I'm so excited for it. Until then, please have a wonderful Thanksgiving. My family is coming in, and I cannot wait to see them. I have to clean my house, so I better let you guys go. (laughs) But if you need to connect with me in any way, of course, you can always... Follow me on Instagram. I'm at Coley Browning. That's K-O-H-L-I-E. I'm Browning like the rifle. Or you can go to my website and that's ColeyBrowning.com. Sincerely, I've had some of you guys reach out to me and it just means the world. I am always willing to talk, always willing to make new friends, and always willing to pray for you all. I'm so thankful for the Lord in my life and I just want to share him in any way that I possibly can, including this platform, which is the podcast. Again, happy Thanksgiving. Eat all the turkey. Put on your stretchy pants. Go into this world and be bold, be brave, and be you. And remember that he is still with you. Oh, yeah.